I think the intro and the close is very Kristen Zeman. We have a jam there. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'll intro. All right. You ready, Michelle? I am ready. Okay. All right. Hang on to your beaver tail. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm in public for the love of Jesus. Hey, it's a thing. Beaver tail. You don't know what a you don't know what a beaver tail is. A, a good, authentic Canadian beaver tail. What do you? Well, what is it, Phil? So. Well, I dare you to Google um, <laughs> beaver tail on your phone or maybe your work computer. I, your Go work ahead. Computer. <laughs> the hollow buddy. And we all feel hollow sometimes. Greetings and salutations and welcome to the hollow bunny leadership podcast. I'm Kristen Zeman and I'm here with my beautiful co-host Sylvia Moyer. We are both former police chiefs, uh, but the Hollow Bunny podcast is not just for cops. It is for anyone who has an interest in talking about life and leadership, particularly the lessons that we've learned about both. And those lessons fill up the Hollow Bunny metaphorically, or aka the empty suit. So we have today, Sylvia, Sylvia, our guest today. Okay, wow. our first international guest. Let me just let me just say that our first international guest, Deputy Chief Michelle Davy. She served 24 years with the Vancouver Police Department and in 2021, she took on a new role as a Delta Police Department Deputy Chief. She has a wide range of experience in operations, investigations and administratives. I'm going to not even read that bio at all because I just want to talk to you. Hi Michelle, welcome to our little podcast. Well, thanks, but I feel like I might actually be in the wrong podcast because I thought we were here to talk about pickleball. <laughs> I wish I could screenshot Sylvia's face right now. I, I so want to hate on you for that, but it's okay. I It is the fastest growing sport in the United States. Oh, is it a sport or is it a skill? In the world, maybe. Is it a sport or is it a skill? You well, can, uh, we, we could ask that of baseball, golf. There, there, there are a few other uh, quote unquote sports, I guess we could apply that to, but it is most definitely a sport, the fastest growing sport. Are we not talking about that today or? Oh, this is leadership. Know, leadership. Michelle, yeah. okay. leadership. Wrong gotcha. podcast. I find it. Oopsie. Okay. I find it super interesting that you threw down immediately. I, I'm okay with it. Super edgy. I see what your bunny is full of, so I'm really stoked to explore this more. All right, listen, I want to uh, I want to get into it because uh, I met Michelle at the IAWP conference in Niagara Falls. Okay. Although we had been uh, in conversation prior to that, because she invited me to come speak uh, at uh, the Canadian Chiefs conference. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, so we became buds. Uh, but I I just I just absolutely. I adore her because uh, very like-minded, uh, still well, very like-minded as far as you know what you and I think about leadership. And so we've had many conversations about women in leadership. But let me back up, Michelle. How did you how did you get started in law enforcement? Was that something that you always wanted to do, did, or did you fall into it? Yeah, unlike uh, you and Sylvia, I don't know what your background is in wanting to be a police officer uh, because I haven't read your book yet. Sorry. Yeah. Because you're still writing it, right? 
She actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. No, I, I can't wait. Mm -hmm. um, I did not always uh, want to be a police officer. I did not grow up wanting to be a police officer and sort of fell into it happenstance. Um, you can't tell by listening to me, but I'm extremely tall. No, I'm not. I'm actually really <laughs> short, but I did play varsity basketball at university. And uh, in the course of uh, summer training, we would play against um, police officers, uh, anybody actually who wanted to come in and train with us and play against us and give us a good game. And one of them happened to be a police officer who worked in Vancouver. So she came out, we became friends. Uh, we played basketball together for a bit and then she invited me out on a ride along. And uh, I went out with her and we drove the uh, prisoner transport wagon uh, in a, a very challenging but rich neighborhood called the downtown east side of Vancouver. And we drove the wagon on uh, a term that, that we used here to describe the day that many people receive their social, social assistance checks. So Welfare Wednesday is what we used to call it. Uh, so we drove the wagon on Welfare Wednesday, and it was the highlight uh, of my early growing up time. It was on that shift that I decided I had to become a police officer, and specifically I had to become a police officer in Vancouver. I was so taken by people uh, that we came into contact with and the, the just overwhelming need and feeling to uh, want to contribute to making uh, some really tough circumstances back in the day better. Um, I was going to school to be a physiotherapist, so I always sort of had a service, you know, industry-related career in mind. But as soon as I went on that ride-along and, uh, you know, we just came across so many challenging circumstances, I knew I had found my calling. And it really is a calling, you know, for, you know, cops who are listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. It's something that actually occupies your soul. It's not a job. It's something we think about all the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's a calling that is of something that's greater than ourselves, which is really cool. So to, to be given the opportunity to be able to do that type of work is just a phenomenal privilege in our society. Although I know it sometimes doesn't feel that way with the level of criticism, et cetera, that is levied against our profession on a regular basis. And, you know, we certainly do uh, deserve criticism in some circumstances, but in, in many, the you know, there are millions and millions of contacts with the public every day that are just so wholesome and genuine and caring in nature that, uh, all of us possess that we just want to make a difference. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, that truly encapsulates it. Now, did you grow up in the Vancouver area or not? I did not. I, uh, like many people in British Columbia, uh, one of the most beautiful provinces we have in Canada, am a transplant for an, from another part of the world. So I grew up in a uh, small city in Ontario called Sault Ste. Marie. And uh, I left there at about 18 uh, to go to university in southern Ontario and then decided to take a year off and told my mother I was dropping out of university to become a ski bunny and a ski lift operator at a ski hill in British Columbia. And she freaked out and I've never been back. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, how did, mom. <laughs> how, how did she take you wanting to be a police officer? You know, super supportive mm -hmm. uh, of, of the profession. I don't think they really understood what I was getting myself into. And, you know, it is uh, certainly in the nineties when I was hired at the age of 12, mm -hmm. I, uh, it was a different time. It was a, 
you know, far fewer guns on the street, far less violence uh, targeted towards police, um, certainly in Canada. So uh, it was a, a quite a safe profession um, with inherent risks, of course, but uh, the training's phenomenal and you know, you're equipped with the right tools to be able to deal with things. It's evolved. Certainly since then, we see a lot more uh, violence. We see a lot more, uh, you know, mental health related issues on the street now with a lot of mental uh, supports uh, waning in society, uh, certainly in Canada, that, uh, you know, there isn't adequate institutional uh, options for people that really should have full-time support. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's changed. And uh, today, I would say it's probably a is a much more dangerous profession than than when I started. Yeah, no kidding. When you came, so there, I was looking at the statistics when I came to speak and uh, women in law enforcement are 12% in the US and you guys have uh, far more impressive numbers, 22%, 21, 22%. Is that of females in policing? Yeah, so we we've certainly come a long way as well. Um, when I was hired in Vancouver, I was one of about a hundred uh, police officer, uh, female police officers out of about a thousand when I was hired, and I think Vancouver is up around twenty eight, twenty nine percent females now. So they've certainly come a long way. Uh, but in Canada, we sit around 23%. Uh, mm -hmm. But still, when you think about women making up 51% of the population, mm -hmm. we, we do still have a long way to go um, in that respect. And it, it certainly became a bit of a seed for me as I rose to the ranks and, and took on leadership roles and, and had a lot more lived experience as a leader in policing, finding myself the only woman, like I'm sure both of you have found yourselves at many executive tables, uh, being the only woman there, uh, facing our own challenges. Uh, it, it really sparked an interest in me to want to learn a little bit more about um, why that was the case and mm. what could we do about it. Mm. So yeah, it's it's an ever growing topic, and I think there's a lot of really cool initiatives that have started to try and change the conversation about police leadership and women's role in police leadership, uh, certainly across both Canada and the U.S. So was it deliberate recruiting uh, for those the I, I'm calling them higher numbers of of women in policing, you know, in all ranks? Is that deliberate recruiting, or is it just more people, more women are interested in the job, or is that something that you know people decided to go recruit, you know, in, in a very purposeful way? I think recruiting's evolved over time. I think back when I joined, it uh, certainly wasn't a focus on any particular demographic. Mm -hmm. I didn't experience that with um, specific workshops to target women or people of color uh, to join policing, but I definitely have seen that trending now. There are a lot, and, and including in the Delta Police Department, we will we have our own targeted recruiting for uh, areas where we lack representation. So yeah. we'll we'll do an, a women's night. Uh, we just did one for the 2S uh, plus LGBTQ community. Uh, we'll be hosting a South Asian information session just to target specific uh, communities that we are uh, underrepresented in the Delta Police Department. And many agencies across the country are doing the same thing. Yeah, no kidding. So um, when you went and got your master's degree, um, I know that's been relatively recent. And so I know you'll you'll find this so interesting. Um, when uh, Deputy Chief Davey was giving a presentation at IAWP that I sat in on, um, she was talking about the disparity of women in rank. Um, and 
uh, there was a statistic that you put up that I was just blown away by <laughs> that 77% of men um, answered that they did not think there were any barriers to promotion for women in policing. Yeah. But wait, 64%, wow. but 64% of women did. I, wow. I mean, chew on that for just a moment. Yeah, that's that's one worth saying a couple of times, right? So I, I did a little, so yes, I did my master's uh, and, and the area of focus for my research was um, perceived and real barriers to promotion for women in municipal policing in Canada. So we have this large policing institution in Canada called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP. And that is what you picture when you picture policing in Canada. They've got the most beautiful dress uniform in the world, and they're so recognizable. And they certainly perform uh, some amazing policing functions across our country. And then you have a whole other municipal side uh, where individual cities will contract policing services um, that are outside of the RCMP. So the rank structure in the RCMP is very different than the rank structure in municipal policing. And I wanted to compare apples to apples. So I excluded the RCMP in my research. And I did a study that sent a survey to uh, most of the major uh, large municipal police agencies in Canada. There's about 194 municipal agencies in total. And uh, of that, I sent uh, to about 11 agencies with a, a thousand members or more. And I asked very specific questions about barriers to promotion to both men and women. And I, I had about 500, just over 500 responses. 58% uh, were men, 41% women. And that is the most striking finding was that 77% of the men who responded said that they didn't perceive there to be barriers for women. And yet the women were reporting back in droves that they indeed were uh, experiencing barriers to their promotion. And the rub with that for me is that the majority of people who are responsible for setting policy and procedure around promotion in police agencies in Canada are men. So if they do not think that there are barriers for women to get promoted, then they're not going to pay attention to those barriers and change will not happen. So my hope out of this research, and it's been really fantastic to get the opportunity to be able to travel uh, nationally to be able to present these findings. And, uh, you know, the police leaders have been very receptive and we're starting to see change, but change takes time. Uh, you know, when I started this research, there were six female police chiefs in the country out of 194 agencies, and now we're down to three, sadly. But where I am seeing growth is in the ranks below chief as we start to see more women promoted into inspector ranks uh, to, I think that's a captain equivalent, I guess, mm -hmm. in, in the States, um, superintendent ranks, deputy chief ranks, um, so that's encouraging because they'll get some time in those ranks to develop to be able to then take the next step into chief. So I expect in the next 10 years, we'll see a significant increase in the number of women uh, represented at, at the top leadership ranks in the country. You know, Michelle, it's, it's incredible, the findings. And I wonder, here you're our first international guest, right? And I wonder, there are some core leadership and system things that could influence, irrespective of what country the leadership 
is housed. You actually cited on your Twitter from the Journal of Community Safety and Wellbeing an article about the agony of proposing system-wide change. And might this topic that you're talking about in your research findings, and then coupled with that article, really give some leadership imperatives and some leadership action that could be taken on the system-wide and the leadership kind of arenas to move the needle in this area. What do you think about that? I think it takes uh, a group of leaders open to that type of feedback first in order to be able to consider uh, a system-wide change. It's always hard to change um, systemic issues that affect our, well, any any agency, really any sector. No doubt. But you know, we are talking about systemic change and you hear more and more often now on, on the lips of many police leaders, male and, and female, um, the terms equity, diversity, and inclusion and accessibility is now being added to that list. And that's encouraging because those are leaders who, you know, maybe initially they were ticking the box off to say, yes, I'm you know, working on becoming more equi equitable, diverse, and inclusive in my leadership. But I actually really see leaders now stepping into that paradigm shift and embracing um, programs such as 30 by 30. And 30 by 30 is a U.S.-based program, and uh, the Delta Police Department was the first Canadian or international, if I can use your term. <laughs> uh, we're just to the north of you. We're your neighbors. North um, America. Yeah. We're just yeah, trying we're to the, bolster our credibility. That I, I hear you. Yeah. 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 Get, a million, have, yeah. get a million just and a half listeners now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, right. you know, initiatives like that, that I see numerous agencies signing on to, and, and it's that public acknowledgement and accountability that signing on to a a program like 30 by 30, you know, will hold that agency because it probably won't be the leader who's in place today, who's still there in 3030 accountable to a path for increasing that diversity at the highest level. Those are, those are, that's an example of the system buying into these concepts and taking a tangible step to making a difference. You know, one of the conversations that, that we had at the conference, especially uh, with the diversity conference and that being the focus, was that the attendees, you know, of course, it's completely voluntary. So the attendees who are sitting in the audience are typically the ones who already get it. And, and I was joking with the men during my presentation, and I said, we put you into two categories, those who get it and those who don't. And, and you know, but acknowledging that men are the gatekeepers, as you mentioned, because they are the majority and they are the policymakers. And so it's those great men that are going to lead us into the new territory. So then how do we get these men who, quote, get it to bring over the ones that, that don't? You know, and that's there and to me lies the, the biggest gap that we have, you know, and that's why, you know, progress seems so slow. Yeah, all 300 people sitting in that room were not the people who actually needed the material delivered at that equity, diversity and inclusion conference. It's, mm. it's everybody who wasn't there. And you're mm. absolutely right. And I'm going to borrow a page out of your book, Kristen, and suggest that your recommendation to become a disruptor 
mm-hmm. is a way for all 300 of those people to take what they have have learned at this conference. And I know that many people at, who attended that conference were actually coming away saying, this is the best conference I've ever been to. Uh, the material was incredible. I have tools in my toolbox I can go home with. Kristen Zeman was the most phenomenal speaker ever right. like right. we ever. we want to hire her that. oh gosh we so really the, the, the feedback was about unreal but you uh pointed out just let it wash over you sister right right with your canada uh, sweatshirt on. I, I wish your listeners could see you sporting mm. it so proudly. Mm. It, it matches the glow in your cheeks when you talk <laughs> about Canada. So um, becoming that for those 300 people to turn around, go home uh, and tell all their friends that this is something they need to buy into because of how, like we we as a conference committee wanted to have people have an emotional experience at this conference, to feel moved by the people who were sharing their stories yep. and giving or- advice and and, and we did it. We did it. We had people actually feel at that conference mm-hmm. and feel strongly enough to go home and tell their friends and phone their colleagues and say, you know, you really got to get into this. And that's how the word is spread. It's it's through disruption. And, you know, if you're a leader that isn't willing to disrupt, then, you know, maybe, maybe the hollow bunny suit is for you, right? Yeah, because right. I do think it is one of the Rice Krispies in that solid bunny that is important. Mm. That is so... You know, it's interesting you say that because... Uh, you know, we, we've often said that we don't have to speak to our values. Our values are on full display for everyone to see. It's how we behave. Mm-hmm. So that conference and what you're talking about in terms of the inspiration and the, the movement forward and the disruption is about leaders, wherever they are in the hierarchy of an organization, public, private, police, otherwise, demonstrating the values to advance yeah. the work, to invite diverse inputs, to include folks that haven't typically been included, to actually advance the work. And are you seeing demonstrations of that where you serve, where they're actually advancing the work and demonstrating that inspiration through action? Yes, yes. It, it you know it's it's starting and I'm encouraged by that. Um it's it's police chiefs promoting uh women into key leadership positions, not token leadership positions where actual uh value is added to the organization by that female leader and the support is there from the chief and standing right beside her saying, Yes, I you know, she is empowered to make these decisions and I stand strongly beside her in uh endorsing the decisions that she's making. So we've gone from having one female deputy chief in the province of British Columbia to six mm. in the span of the last year and a half, which is incredible. And that's a concrete example of uh, police chiefs, male police chiefs, showing the value of having 
a diverse leadership team around them to provide that diversity of thought, lived experience, culture, ethnicity, gender to decision making. Because we make better decisions when we take into consideration all of those aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I get asked a lot. I'm the um, the co-chair of the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee, along with uh, Deputy Chief Farika Prince, and she's a deputy in the Prince Albert uh, Police Service in Saskatchewan. So we get asked a lot to provide training, quote unquote, training in EDI. And I struggle with that concept. Like, you know, Sylvia, to your point, it really is how you live and breathe and lead through your values that show what your equity, diversity, and inclusion principles are, right? How you speak to people, how inclusive are you in your decision-making? I'm not going to stand with a PowerPoint in front of you and train you how to do that. You you, you have to live that. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts. And I think that's finally starting to sink in to, uh, you know, the, the importance of living that value. Oh, I love that you just said that. You know, Sil and I were part of the uh, Police Executive Research Forum, um, you know, talking about women in policing. And as part of that report, and this is all data and it's, you know, the deliverable is a list of things. And, uh, you know, when I read this list of things, it says, you know, become more inclusive. You know, it's like there are these just check boxes. And yet what to your point, point. It's the actions. It's the, you know, it's not just the attributes or this, um, those are to me like abstract things, but it's the action behind it. All of the things that you've just listed, you know, and, and people setting the example. And, you know, I love the phrase, you don't have to be one of to stand with and, you know, and more of that. And that's where those actions are displayed. So I'm just so grateful for the work that you are doing in that space. Um, And I mean, it, and it transcends, you know, where you are in our corner of the world as well. We have the same issues here. So, um, but let's talk a little bit about leadership and you, the reason that, um, you are becoming my new best friend is because I love your, your thoughts, um, and your wisdom on leadership. Is that something that you have studied? Do you learn it from, you know, throughout the years of studying other leaders? Is it, a, you know, are they books? Are they, where, where does your leadership, um, knowledge and wisdom come from? My uh, current boss, Chief Neil Dubord, is a systems guy, and I love him for that because I know what I know, but I have no freaking clue how I know what I know. Mm -hmm. And he has put the system in front of what I know and has tried to explain to me, this is how you know what you know. This is why you know what you know. And it's really cool to talk to him as a leader to understand that system because that's just not how I think. So yeah, it, it, you know, it comes from uh, reading some books and, and uh, understanding leadership styles of other people. And you take sort of key points away, like Simon Sinek, for example, and his circle of safety concept and creating an environment around you as a leader so that people who work on your team feel safe and comfortable to bring forward, you know, a contrary view to what yours is or pointing out, hey, Michelle, if you head down this path, you're going to 
you know, your train's going to come off the tracks. So mm. if you don't have that environment in place, then you are destined for failure. You know, surrounding yourself with people who know more about things than you do, mm. right? You do not have to be the smartest person in the room. You have to be able to bring a group of people together to get a job done. So you're, you're almost an enabler, you're a facilitator, um, you're a resource getter as a leader, and you certainly help create the vision for sure. But it really is about creating that team environment to get people to where you want them to go. Um, so a lot of it has come through practical, uh, you know, I really like these things about this leader. I really don't like these things about this leader. So I'm going to take the things I like and I'm going to leave the things I don't. And I'm going to sh be sure to not do those things to the people who work with me on my team because I know how it makes me feel, right? So it, it, it's a lot of lived experience. I've been in an executive role uh, in policing in Canada since 2014. So I've been at a lot of tables with a lot of leaders and I've seen a lot of examples of it done very well. And I've seen some examples of it not done very well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it, you know, I really think leadership comes not from a book. It comes from practical lived experience and you make mistakes and you learn from them and yep. you grow and you move forward and you change and you have to yep. be open to that change. Mm, retweet, you know, and yet why, why is it this is we talk about leadership and these principles and these attributes. It, it seems as though the things that you just said are, are, are so um, common sense, right? You know, be the boss you wish you had, right? It's how you make people feel, you know, and all of that. And yet we still have a crisis of leadership. And I, I just, I scratch my head at it, you know, and, and I, I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm, as I'm star sitting here staring at the book by Ryan Holiday, because Syl and I are big, uh, big into stoicism. Ooh. And I'm looking at the title of this book in one of them called Ego is the Enemy. And, and that is, is what I found is that sometimes it's like what you just said is being able to say, ah, oh, wow, I don't know the answer. I know I'm in this, this leadership position that puts, you know, a supervisory position that gives me, you know, power, contrived power, but I don't know everything. But when you say that, I, I mean, that's that's how I feel when when I'm with you. And I know that that's real. And I've watched uh, all of, of the other women at the conferences and how much they respect you. So I know that that's, those aren't just words. Then why is it that, you know, we, we still have this crisis of leadership? What gets in the way of that? And I, I, that's a tough question. I don't. I think we're scared to have the difficult conversation with certain leaders that they're not cut out to lead mm -hmm. because not everybody is born to be a leader and we struggle. I'm sure it's a struggle in the health sector in government, et cetera. We struggle with having tough conversations with people about the reality of their leadership capabilities. And if we had more of those conversations that were honest and supportive and truthful, uh, then I think we would see fewer people in leadership positions that have no idea how to be leaders. Mm. Um, it's again, it's, it's like, how do you train for EDI? How do you train for leadership? Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it's, it's a tough one to pin down. There's a lot of people making good money off of leadership courses, et cetera. So there's certainly some value in teaching the wisdom of the fundamentals of good leadership practice, 
But then it requires a self-assessment of whether or not you have those fundamentals that you can actually grow and learn to develop. Uh, but I think you actually have a have to have a baseline of those skills inside you uh, to to really grow into that good leadership role. Mm. And not everybody does. And guess what? That's okay. Sure. We we need leaders. We need followers. We it's a football team out here. We need all kinds of different positions to be successful. Certainly in a police organization. And it's okay. It's not a failure to not become a leader. Because you play just as vital of a role as somebody who has to go answer that call for service than the sergeant who runs the call. It's just not, you know, it's okay to not be good at everything. Mm. Oh, I love that. You know, it's so interesting. I'll use baseball as a baseball person. There's there's a batting order. Not everybody that's a number one, two hitter is uh, the same as somebody who's a seven, eight, nine hitter, but they are all vital. So we'll appeal to our U.S. listeners with a little baseball thing. You make a really interesting point here, and I want to circle back on this, Michelle. And to Kristen's point about stoicism and ego is the enemy, I would couple this ego is the enemy, Ryan Holiday, with this other incredible gift that Kristen recently gave me, the David Brooks book, mm. The Second Mountain, where Brooks argues that the first mountain, we're clawing our way to the top and we're acquiring and we are we are achieving and we're getting all this success and doing all these things that are very individualistic. The second mountain leader has had a dark spot, a, a reckoning, a, something that brought them into a valley. And they've ascended on this second mountain that I want to put a finer point on. And that is, it is really in the spirit of egalitarianism. It is giving. It is selfless. It is doing the work, expecting nothing in return and freeing oneself of the acquisition of stuff and of title and of rank. And it is truly giving in a way that liberates us from ego. And there's a real call to action when we couple those two kind of thoughts, right? And we pair it with what you've offered, Michelle, which is the foundation. So what I'm hearing is there's an introspection and a learning, a skill, so it's training, but then there's also a development. And that is then where we assess how we show up, how we assess what our behaviors do in the environment in which we're leading. And so I think I wanted to put a finer point on that and see if there's anything for us to chew on that would actually fill our bunny. So there's two things I'll pick up on. Number one, what an amazing plug for your previous episode of The Hollow Bunny to have <laughs> listeners go back and listen because you referenced that book and that uh, oh. intellectual exercise uh, in that episode, and I really enjoyed it. Um, to the second point, I think that there is um, a, a key aspect of leadership here that it's not something that can be taught. It's something that you're born with that is is the secret ingredient to what I think you're getting at, Sylvia, and that is self-awareness and humility. I am, I'm floored by the extent of lack of self-awareness mm. in people yeah. and 
I sit across the table and I'm like, how can you not know? Like I'm thinking that so loudly that I'm, I swear they hear it. How can you not know? At what point do you stop pointing fingers out and you start pointing fingers in? And, and well, that's what drove me to Botox. Cause I looked at him like, are you, are you fucking listening to yourself, bro? <laughs> so just so saying, have I have all to, the lines huh. in your forehead. That's where, well, yeah, you know, it right? manifests in many different ways in us, doesn't it? That's where math, yes, it math does, Michelle. Were a positive in some points because you could just hide that poker face when we had to wear the mask. So yeah, you're, you're so right. But see, that comes with, um, with that, that introspection and those truth tellers, building a yes. team of truth tellers. Um, but even that can be difficult because, you know, there are people who are just not open to that kind of, I'll call it feedback, you know, that, that they become defensive when, when given feedback, but it is that it's that first moment. And I don't know about you guys, but the greatest gifts I have received in my life were those people who sat down with me and said, Hey, you're, you're here, but if you want to get here, this is how you can be better. And I remember listening to that and some of it was hard to take. Right. And, you know, and yet I thought, man, you, you have to you know, really uh, accept that as the gift that it is. And then that's where introspection is born. But, you know, sometimes you need that little nudge from truth tellers. It's just so fascinating to me because I think this kind of offering this time that we've been here together really for our listeners is a nudge. It's a nudge to really do the work, to look at self. And I think challenge ourselves to examine how we show up. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, if, if you're, I think we need a second episode with Michelle yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's. Well, we we, let's we can see how the ratings in- go with your first international guest, and uh, we'll we'll go from oh. there. Oh man, it's gonna. Hey, me. Oprah had to cancel <laughs> today, so <laughs> we made Sophia. space for you. So I can't believe you told Michelle that Oprah canceled, and then we asked her. That was I guess that was well, duh. Yeah, like you feel, I, yeah, like hello. Of course, like you should have canceled Oprah in order to get me because this For was you. my only time. That's so going to happen. Honestly, that is. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. That's going to We're going to book Oprah so, so we can cancel her and bring you back on. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah. I, I, I Go ahead. Finish your question, Syl, and then I've got one. So, so Michelle, if you're to put kind of, kind of a list together for our listeners about some things that you have found by witness and experience by being a practitioner and an academic in this leadership space, what are the bullets you're to tell them to summarize, to really focus on um, in terms of what you've offered in this leadership kind of exploration this morning? Yeah, I wonder how many of these would actually be on the PowerPoint slide in the leadership class. So because mine is honestly rooted in trial and error and uh, learning from what what has worked, what, what I've seen work in other leaders, what has worked for me as a leader. And the first one that stands out for me is to be genuine. Be genuine in how you are with people. Uh, really be empathetic, show your compassion, show your vulnerability, show that you're a human, show that you care, um, take time to care and show that, uh, take time to acknowledge the work of, of your people. All of that package is so important to make people feel valued and included. Push down decision-making. You know, the, we hear about the term micromanaging, um, 
I really encourage to push down decision-making to the right level. You do not have to make all of the decisions. And in fact, you will make your team better if you push that decision-making down, have them uh, make the decision, uh, maybe fail, let them fail, and let them learn from that failure in order to grow because they are the next generation of leader. You hope to be able to walk out the door when you retire or you win the lottery or you get invited to play professional pickleball like I'm hoping to do. And you can you can walk out like literally on Friday with a clear conscience knowing that your people are well set up to take over on Monday without needing three or four months of training and overlap and all this other stuff, like really prepare them to step into those leadership roles at the next level all the way along so that you have a team of people who are ready and they will appreciate that uh, opportunity. And if you create the environment to allow them to fail and allow them to pick themselves up and, and learn from that failure, then you're going to create a, uh, a far better equipped team to be able to continue the succession. That's, that's your goal as a leader, right? As police chiefs, you wanted to probably grow your own chief from the inside, right? But you don't necessarily always have the talent because you often inherit a, a leadership team that was put in place before you came along. But if you can start that at the lowest level in your organization and encourage that decision-making right down to the front line uh, at the sergeant level to constables in your platoons. Like, wow, in the future, those constables will be so much better served for having made some mistakes, learned along the way, and learn how to make decisions and stand by them. Oh, oh Michelle, Michelle, I got to say, as be before I pass this off to KZ to to close, I have to say a couple things. First of all, constable, super cool. So deputies, officers, constables, all our people. I want to really put a finer point, a pin in this thing that you offered. It's how do we as leaders uh, get individuals to a space where they can fail without feeling like a failure? Mm -hmm. And that is the genuine leadership endeavor, right? To fail without feeling overarching like a failure yeah. is so, so important. And you have offered so many nuggets, so much stuff. I just... I want to, uh, I don't know, Kristen, I'm going to apply to be Michelle's best friend. I think there might be an uh, online application, yeah, so maybe that? we'll compete. Ooh. We'll fight it out. Michelle, oh, you awkward. are extraordinary. Extraordinary. This, she'll pick you. She'll pick you. Yeah. You're extraordinary. Yeah, you know and I, I, I can't I, wait I, to have you back. I, I am <laughs> Today, the hollow bunny is filled with beaver tail. Um, and, uh, uh that's encourage, a Canadian encourage, um, anybody. encourage, please encourage your listeners to Google beaver tail yes. and, and see what, what we're talking about here, because it, it, it is a, a Canadian treasure that we are weird. so proud of. Just don't do it on your work computer. Um, and then, uh, my final question um, is I will be uh, coming to Canada again for the third time. And then I was just curious is like, when does actual citizens citizenship happen? When do I become Canadian? Is there a test? Do I, when do we meet him? Justin Trudeau? Yeah. And also is he as, in, is he as handsome as he appears to be JT? Right. Well, you know, you could probably, we're, we're so amenable here in Canada. We're so friendly. You could probably stop by on your way through Ottawa to <gasps> Kelowna, which is not on the East coast. It's on the West coast. And 
you know, meet him for a beaver tail. Like he, he would probably be open to that. He oh, is very cool. Poutine? You could have, you could have some poutine with him as well. Yes. Oh, and, and we'll play yeah. some hockey, eh? Uh, yeah, see, wow. that's on the test. You're going to have to work on that one. Yeah, that one's on okay. the test for sure. Okay. And how many points are on the Maple Leaf? 11. Boom. Mic drop. 11 points on the how Maple Leaf. How many provinces? I am literally a Canadian how many provinces? Now four provinces, <laughs> maybe. Um, Michelle Davey, thank you so, so much Michelle for Davey. coming on our little show with our millions of listeners. I know that people will get so much out of this and uh, we just so appreciate your wisdom, your knowledge, and I appreciate your friendship. Uh, so thank you with that. Uh, I will talk us out of here. Uh, the hollow bunny podcast is produced by Ted Madden and the song that you are about to hear is written and performed exclusively for this podcast by my handsome and talented son, Jake, and his friends, Fabian and Zoe. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and review it and tell all your friends. If you don't, just move along. Nothing more to see here. Thanks, everybody. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Thank you. Keep going. Beaver tail. Bye. Bye. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind when you lose your way and you pause your why have courage and get ready to fight the hollow buddy? When the way ahead is covered in smoke and you're tired and scared and you're losing hope, you'll open your heart and your eyes and see a challenge and a question why not me to fight the hollow buddy?
monsters.